The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is the first half of a sermon preached at Zion Church from the first chapter of the book of Malachi. Those of you who are faithful Bible readers will know that in the first few verses of Malachi, there's a statement that Paul later quotes in Romans chapter 9 about the fact that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. In both of these passages, Jacob and Esau, who were twin brothers, represent those who are children of God and those who are not. Jacob being the representative of God's children and Esau being the representative of those who are not God's children. The question is asked of the Lord in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, Wherein hast thou loved us? That's a legitimate question, is it not? And I believe it's a question that's relevant today. Lord, wherein have you loved us? That is, how have you loved us? Why? In what way? How can we know that you've loved us? Well, Malachi goes on under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to explain how it is that God loves us. And we begin looking at the answer to that question in today's message. You see, the real answer is that we were no different than Esau and really should have been hated by God because we truly, by nature, are enemies of God just like Esau. And yet, he loved us anyway. And that's what the passage in Malachi and Romans chapter 9 is all about. We begin looking at it today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Malachi chapter 1, we begin reading in verse 1 as follows. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. This evening, I want us to deal with that question that's asked in verse 2. Wherein hast thou loved us? That means literally, how is it, Lord, that, that you loved us? What, where can we look to see how you loved us? It's a good question for us today, is it not? It's Kind of the question of the ages is, Lord, how have you loved us? Wherein have you loved us? Why have you loved us? It deals with all of that wrapped in together. That's what that word wherein means. And you'll notice if you're a good primitive Baptist <laughs> that this is a ver this, there's a statement in here that is also used prominently in the New Testament in the ninth chapter of Romans. And it's a statement that uh, when I was a young man, I heard it dealt with all the time, as if that were the only thing there was about the doctrine of election and about grace that, that, that existed. And that had to do with the statement that Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And in fact, too often the emphasis was on Esau have I hated. <laughs> I'm going to deal with that tonight. I want to deal with that statement because I believe in that statement is where we find how that God loved us. Now, let me just say this before we go any farther. That statement about Esau have I hated is not the gospel message, not standing alone, okay? That's the bad news. The gospel is the good news. <laughs> but see, the good news is, is that Jacob have I loved, and, and we'll come back to that. So let's, let's talk about wherein hast thou loved us. Remember as we go through this tonight, that's the question of the hour. Wherein hast thou loved us? So let's just jump right in and let's deal with that statement that, that, that many avoid, many ignore, and many just sort of explain away. But notice in verse 3, he says, I hated Esau. I hated Esau. Beloved, I want us to understand tonight that the hatred, the Lord's hatred of the wicked is real. It really exists. It is real. The definition there of the word hate is literally means in the Hebrew to personally hate. It also indicates an enemy or a foe or someone who is hateful or odious to us. Over in Romans chapter 9, in verse 13, where it says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, quoting this verse here, that word hate in the Greek means to pursue with hatred or to detest. Now I say that because many in the religious world today explain this hatred, the word hate, by saying, well, it really doesn't mean hate. It means love less. Love less. But I want to say to you tonight, we need to understand that not only the definition of the word is contrary to that explanation, but also the rest of Scripture is contrary to that. Let's just take a few Scriptures and look at it where that word is used. I did a word search not just for the word hate in English, but I took that underlying Hebrew word and did a word search for it through the Old Testament and, and, and then one in the New Testament for the same word, a Greek word that's used in Romans 9.13. 
And let's, let's look at it for just a minute. And you can turn to these or you can write them down. It doesn't matter, but I, I've got them written down so I can remember where, to, where I want to go to. In Psalm 97 and verse 10, we are admonished directly, commanded, in fact, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Okay? If you love the Lord, hate evil. Now, if indeed the definition that the world promotes of the word hate is love less, then we could just retranslate that to say, well, if you love the Lord, just love evil less. You can love it, but just as long as you love it less. Okay? In Psalm 26 and verse 5, David says, I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Now, again, if that word hate means to love less, then that means, well, I've, I've loved the congregation of the evildoers a little less. And, and, and I'm, I'm not going to sit with them as much. <laughs> I'll just sit with them less. Is that what David was trying to get across there? Psalm 101 and verse 3, David says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Let's retranslate that using the definition that the world promotes. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I love the work of them that turn aside less. And using that same logic, then the rest of that should say, it shall not cleave to me it'll cleave to me a little less <laughs> right in psalm 45 and verse 7 this is a messianic reference this is a reference to christ i believe in the in the old testament there in the book of psalms and this is what it says in psalm 45 and verse 7 thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness therefore god thy god hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows i believe that's pointing us to the lord jesus christ now, under the definition of hate that the world promotes, maybe it should read about Christ like this. Thou hatest righteousness less, and thou lovest wickedness less. <laughs> and therefore God hath anointed thee a little more above thy fellows. You see what happens when we start changing definitions to fit what we want it to say. I, I want to go through just a couple more of these because uh, one of them over in the 119th Psalm, there's several that really stood out to me as I began to study for this message. In Psalm 119 and verse 104, verse 104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Does that really just mean... I love the false ways less. In Psalm 119 and verse 113, the psalmist writes, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Does that really just mean I love vain thoughts less than I love the law? <laughs> Psalm 119 and verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. 
I had trouble translating this one <laughs> into this new way of thinking, this new definition. So, so I kind of did it a couple of ways. Does it mean yeah, the opposite of esteem is scorn or to hold into contempt, okay? So does this really mean, therefore, I scorn all thy precepts concerning, concerning all things less? Or does it mean I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be less wrong? And I love every false way less. Is that what it means? I mean, you get the point. It's, it's kind of foolishness, and it doesn't work when taken not only with the definition, but also in the context. One other one that I want to share with you, in Psalm 6 and verses 16 through 19, we won't read the whole thing, but that's the place where we're told that there are six things the Lord hates. He said, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He talks about a proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, those that sow discord among brethren, and, and several other things in there. Does it really mean that, well, the Lord loves these things less than he loves if you do a little bit better? Is that what it really means? One out of the, one out of the, out of the New Testament. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 21 and verse 17, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Now on that day of Calvary, when the wicked men came and dispersed the disciples and they ran scared, shouldn't they really have hung around? Because all that really meant was they just loved them a little less than they loved Christ. Is that really what it, what it means? You see... It doesn't work. When he says in Amos, hate the evil and love the good, he doesn't mean, well, love the evil less and don't hate the good quite so much. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. You see, later on in Malachi, even in the third chapter, I believe it is, God says that there through the mouth of Malachi, he says, I hate putting away. He was calling them on the carpet because their priests even were, were just marrying wives and then divorcing them and marrying somebody else. And they, were, they did not respect the institution of marriage. And he says, I hate that. I hate that. I hate divorce. I hate putting away. But maybe he just meant, I, you know, I, I don't really like it quite as much. <laughs> no, beloved. I don't believe that that's what the scripture's teaching us here. The Lord's hatred of the wicked is a real thing. It is a real thing. And, and, but, but understand this. When, when he talks about hating Esau, which Esau represents the wicked. Esau, you know, Jacob is a representation of the children of God. Now, I know literally here he's talking about the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom, which was Esau's uh, progeny there. Uh, but over in, over in Romans chapter 9, he's given us an example using those two children that had not yet been born to explain to us the doctrine of election. And he said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The Lord's hatred of the wicked, those who Esau represents, are real. And I want to say to you, before we go too much further, the Lord's hatred of the wicked is righteous. It is righteous. You see, what people miss often in getting worked up about the things I'm preaching on tonight and the doctrine of election in general they don't understand or they don't think about the fact that the wicked are not a passive, neutral people. Okay? Let me ask you something. Are you just a neutral person? 
You just kind of go along through life. You know, you could swing this way. You could swing that way. It's okay. I don't find myself that way. My children didn't grow up neutral. I, I didn't, my children, my baby, Meredith and John Morgan about to have a baby. They're going to find that child as perfect as he's going to be. I know. Going to be the most perfect child that's ever been born, right? <laughs> Isn't that what every grandparent says? Anyway, uh, <laughs> as, as, as beautiful and wonderful as that little child is, he's, he's going to come forth from the womb speaking lies. There's going to be nights when he's going to be crying as if he's being murdered in that bassinet. And as soon as the light turns on, he'll start cooing and being so sweet, you know. You know why? Because he's self-focused. He's going to, you know, it's, they're not going to have to teach that child how to do bad. They're not going to have to teach that child how to, um, how to take toys away from Tim's grandchild, you know. We've seen that happen. I've used that before here. I know. I've seen that happen when Asher and Mason were kids. You know, it's probably going to be Lincoln taken away from Cal, but anyway, because he's bigger. That's the way it was with Mason. Mason was taken away from Asher. You know, Mason had his arms full of toys that he couldn't play with just because he didn't want Asher to have them, you know, when they were two or three years old. See, we're not passive. Even those little kids like that are not passive. We are born sinners. We are conceived in iniquity and brought forth in sin. And we come forth from the womb speaking lies. Esau's people are not a neutral, passive people. Remember that definition of hate includes the idea of the ideation of enemies. I read in the Word of God that there was a time we were enemies of God. As a matter of fact, in our natural state, we are enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, You hath he quickened, who were kind of going along neutral and you know, sometimes doing good and sometimes pleasing God. And if you just do more good than bad, everything will be okay. No, no. A thousand times no. Who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And, you know, sometimes we, sometimes we blame Adam. And we should blame Adam. Adam plunged us into sin, no doubt. Romans 5.12 says that. As by, one man's, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. He was our federal head representative. The federal headship of Adam applies. And he did plunge us into sin. But there's, a rest of that, there's the rest of that verse we sometimes forget about. For that all have sinned. You know what that tells me? That tells me certainly by nature, inherited from Adam, I'm a sinner. But guess what? By choice and practice, I'm also a sinner. I am a sinner because I want to be a sinner. I'm a sinner because I like being a sinner. Yes, I inherited the sin nature from Adam, but I like it. <laughs> you know, a pig loves wallowing in the mud. A pig loves that slop that it eats. It's not eating the slop because it can't get anything else. It loves that, you see. And in nature, I love the old slop of this world. You see, I'm not neutral. You're not neutral. We are active enemies of God. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past you walked. How? According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh among the children of disobedience. And you were, by, he said, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. See, we're not neutral. So this idea, what well, God just arbitrarily 
hated Esau. No, God righteously hated Esau. And he righteously hates the reprobate. You see, this is what people, what we need to understand about God. Is God's holiness is immutable and untouchable. And it demands satisfaction for sin. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25. You remember I, I quoted it, I quoted it so many times you ought to know it by heart, I guess. Where Abraham and God are negotiating for the family, the life of Lot there in Sodom. And, 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 and he starts at 50 and he goes down to 10. But in the meantime, he says, shall, he asks, Abraham asks God, shall not the judge of all the earth, what? Do right. You know, that's the first objection to election. We're going to talk about that, Lord willing, as we go through the doctrine of election. We, I've still got a couple more sermons, I think, to do on Sunday mornings as we go through our articles of faith. But you know, the first objection is, what should we say then to these things? Is there unrighteousness with God? That's the first objection I get when I'm dealing with people in the world that don't understand election. They say, you believe in predestination election? Well, that just isn't fair. That's just not right. God wouldn't be right if he chose some and not all. They don't understand. Sometimes they think that God chose that he predestinated people to hell and I have to always try to clear that up because double predestination is not in the word of God <laughs> Adam sent us on our way to hell merrily on our way to hell we're happy about what we are in nature when we only have the natural man natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness unto him neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned but that's the first objection is it just wouldn't be right. Well, the first answer is, listen, everything God does is right. Everything he does is right. Whether we understand it or not, I hope you understand the doctrine of election. I believe you do. But even if you don't, if it's in the word of God, don't immediately go to the point of, well, that just wouldn't be right. God's just not right to do that. No, God's always right. You're just misunderstanding what's going on. <laughs> you just don't get it yet. You don't realize what it is that's happening here and what he's talking about. And by the way, let me just fast forward and let you in on a little secret. The doctrine of election is all about the mercy and love of God. It's not really about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is a real thing, and we're talking about it here, but it's not, that's not the doctrine of election. We're going to get to that in a minute. But you see, God is a righteous God and demands satisfaction for sin. And lest we, lest we misunderstand this, I know God's glory is manifest in his love of a people, but his glory is also manifest in his wrath upon the non-elect and the reprobate. In Romans chapter 9, look over there with me just for a moment. Down in verse 20, there's an objection here that I call the absoluter objection, okay? Backing up to verse 19 just to see the objection right quick. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? That's the objection. And that's when people hear the doctrine of election, they say, well, God, you believe God's making everything happen that happens. He's like a puppet master up there making you do everything. No, that's not what we believe. And that's the reason people make this objection they think, just like you talked about Pharaoh, he said uh, in verse 17, the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. See there, God made Pharaoh do what he did. 
That's what people say. <laughs> That's not what that says. You know, how, you know how God made Pharaoh do what he did? Which is not a true statement, but if you want to use that terminology. He just left him alone to do what he wanted to do anyway. That's how his will was accomplished in Pharaoh. He just, you know, why is a desert a desert? Is it because the forces of nature actively make it a desert? No, they just withhold the rain. Just withhold the rain. That's what God has done here. The rains of his mercy, he just left, he's withheld that. And old Pharaoh did exactly what he wanted to do. But be that as it may, not to get too far afield there, when he he answers this, he says, Who are you to reply against God? You know, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it twice thou made me thus? Verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? I believe that's a specific reference there to Isaac. Out of that same man, two children were born. One was a child of God and one was not. But now notice in verse 22, we're talking about how that the indignation of God, the wrath of God glorifies him. Listen to this. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? You want to know what God thinks about or how he deals with the wicked? He suffers them. He suffers them. God's not pleased with them. Yes, he's the great overruler. Providentially, he overrules the wicked deeds of men, but he doesn't cause them. He doesn't make them do it. You see, he suffers through it. He suffers them to do these things. He said, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Notice the difference. The vessels of wrath were passively fitted to destruction, but the vessels of glory were actively before prepared unto glory. See there? But here's the point from that. Even he, he says in one place, he shall make the wrath of man to praise him. Even the wrath of man. even And the wrath of God poured out upon the wicked glorifies God. Because it, it shows his power. It shows his justice. It shows his holiness. Don't we all want to see things set right? I do. I spent a career trying to set things right in the criminal justice system. I wanted things to come out right, and they didn't always work out. But even when they didn't work out, there were several cases I tried where, where that the man I knew was guilty, and he was found not guilty, and he went free. But you know how I could live with that? Because I knew there's a righteous judge that one day will make it all just right. All the offenses will be paid for. They will be paid on, possibly for eternity. But they will be taken care of ultimately. God is a righteous judge. The Lord's hatred of the wicked, the Lord's hatred of the wicked is righteous. It's a righteous hatred. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.